0: Can you make a way where there is no way?
1: God, why have you abandoned me? I don't believe I'm worth your time, God. I don't believe I'm worth anybody's time. I don't believe I have worth. I feel like an outcast amongst my peers. I tried changing myself. I tried to become a different person to make them happy. But I only hate myself more for that. No matter what I do, what I change or don't change, what I say or don't say, it will never be good enough for me for you, for anybody. I'm so paralyzed by this self-hatred, I have days where I don't wanna look at myself or even leave the house just because I'm not good enough for people. Does everybody feel this way or is it just me? I know you're supposed to be this loving God that listens to everyone, but am I really worth your time? Do you really care about me? If you do, then why don't I feel it? God, Why have you abandoned me? You are God of smoke and mirrors. I'm so confused, God.
2: Why did this happen? Do you even care about us, God? Where are you, God? But I need you to guide me, and you are nowhere to be found.
0: Jesus, can you make a way where there is no way? I am Isaac Hernandez son of immigrants, born and raised on the east side of St. Paul. I like to say I grew up with a Christian background, but if I'm going to be honest, I grew up very confused. I didn't get the whole Christian religion thing, going to church, seeing everyone have all these encounters with God, but I wouldn't feel a thing. Even in school, trying to learn English and falling behind, I felt like I was always a step behind. I would think to myself, what is wrong with me? At the age of 12, I had my first taste of alcohol. When I was drinking and partying, I didn't feel like nothing was wrong with me. But my parents always kept saying, stop doing what you're doing, God loves you. But my mind was set, I'm gonna do what I want. I hear all this talk about about God, but I've never felt him. Is he even real? And even if he was real, he wouldn't want nothing to do with me, with all the bad things that I'm doing. The loneliness of my life was so much. Pride kept me from showing my true self. I seemed perfect on the outside, but on the inside, I was broken. Jesus, can you make a way where there is no way?
2: Growing up, I considered myself a good little Christian girl who followed the rules, who didn't talk back, who fasted and prayed, and wanted to be loved by God. Growing up, I never doubted in myself. But that all changed once I hit puberty. My relationship with anxiety got a whole lot bigger. Formed a new relationship with depression that's been going steady, close to 10 years strong. Occasionally, met up with suicide from time to time, and my faith in the Lord dwindled big time. I started questioning everything, especially God. I stopped going to Echo, and I began overthinking everything. I didn't tell anyone, because I thought I could, it wasn't worth sharing. They had other things to worry about, and I thought I could tame it, control it on my own. But I was wrong. I was broken, pushed past my limit, and completely cracked open. I wanted nothing more for the pain to stop. Look, I know you're real, God, but you feel so far away. Like you're just disappointed in me for not believing in you as much as I should be. Or you're just waiting for me to forgive myself and trust in you. But the thing is, I don't know if I can. Where are you, God, when I need you to guide me and you are nowhere?
3: Look at this mess. Hello God, help us out here. Do you even care? There's so much crap in the world. I couldn't even count all of the awful things that are happening right now. Though I'm going to name the most concerning ones to me. It feels like people don't care about what we do to the earth, like they only care about themselves. I mean, look at our obsession with social media. And it seems like we have made no progress in equal human rights. So many people are still oppressed by systems that favor only certain people. The people in power are focused only on themselves, their empires, the money that they can make, and very few are using their resources to help these huge problems. So why would God not step in? If he can fix everything with a wave of his pinky finger, why wouldn't he? Everyone says, hey, free will, dude. Yeah, I see that God isn't stopping that because of free will, and free will is a good thing. Hurrah, hurrah. But what happens when we destroy the earth? Is God even capable of stopping this stuff? Is he even there? Doesn't seem like it. How am I supposed to have faith in a God who does nothing in the face of all of this evil? Do you even care about us, God? Where are you, God? I need you to guide me, and you are nowhere to be found.
0: Jesus, can you make a way where there is no way?
4: Dear God, dear God, dear God, God. okay, so Mark and I have broken up, just like that, two years down the drain, wasted. What was even the point? I came to know you through Mark, and now I'm having trouble separating the two. I feel like you abandoned me. You gave us this vision that we were going to be together forever. That we were going to be missionaries together. And I gave up so much in belief of that coming true. Now what? Why? I'm so confused, God. I think I really wanted to marry Mark. And I thought you really wanted me to marry Mark. Why would you mislead us like that? I feel like I'm missing out on this vision you had for us. Did we do something wrong? Maybe, if we hadn't been so sinful, this wouldn't be happening. I know you're a loving God, but it feels like you're punishing me. Like the vision and the dream that I thought you gave me, you're now taking away. Two years of my life, I've spent pursuing this vision that's now null. I feel lost from you, God. I'm so confused, God, why did this happen?
0: a God of smoke and mirrors. I feel like I can't rely on God, and the more I try to do it myself, the further I feel from God. It's a clear downward spiral. In fact, I'm probably feeling my lowest around now. I feel like, if anything, my true testimony is yet to come. I feel like after this low, is going to be something really big, like getting hit with God. But right now, I am separated from God. Through trying to avoid self-righteousness, through chasing so many other things and trying to do my utmost best in them, like school and stuff, God is fading more and more into a corner. It's like driving and just staring at the speedometer instead of watching the road ahead.
5: the book of Matthew, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, we read this, uh, 2745, it says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lena sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As we just saw uh, brilliantly illustrated with our ECHO students, um, we live in a world, a fallen world, where it sometimes feels like it's a God-forsaken world. A world where sometimes you ask why questions and there are no immediate answers. A world where sometimes the unthinkable happens. The worst-case scenario comes true. The nightmare lands on you. It's your child that has this incurable disease. A world where you sometimes have to say goodbye to loved ones, yeah, spouses, parents, sometimes even children. It's a world that sometimes feels God forsaken. When I went to the University of Minnesota, I had been a Christian for about a year. I became a Christian just before my senior year in high school. And um, it took about, oh, eight weeks being at the University of Minnesota for me to lose my faith. Uh, I didn't want to lose my faith. I loved, I loved just the sense of purpose and meaning and fulfillment that I had as a Christian, and I had had a lot of real powerful encounters with God. Uh, but I just confronted so many questions, and I couldn't find any answers. And there's one particular point, which is looking back on a kind of a turning point in this whole thing. That was the most miserable year of my life. The emptiness and futility, I I sensed. It was just terrible. But things began to turn around. As I look back on it, it seems like there's one particular night. I had, during this period, become more acutely aware of the problem of human suffering and animal suffering in this world, a world full of suffering. I just was more aware of that. I was feeling it more profoundly. Uh, This is a time when they had this television series come on. Uh, It was a dramatization of the Holocaust. And that was just, that was the beginning of my obsession with the Holocaust. And at the time I was taking a class in Hebrew. And a good percentage of the kids who were in this class were Jewish kids. And when the television series came on, we started talking about this a lot. And a lot of them shared stories that had come down from their parents and their grandparents. And some of it was just just utterly, utterly unthinkable. So I was very aware of this, and that was one of the reasons why I was finding it hard to believe that there is a, that God exists and that he's personal and that he cares about us. On the other hand, there's this one night, I was in this astronomy class, and we were studying uh, on top of this building at the University of Minnesota, this astronomy building. We were studying primarily the moons of Jupiter through this telescope. But as we were doing this, the professor was just kind of vamping on just the magnificence of this universe and the size of this universe and the billions and billions and billions of galaxies, each one having billions and billions of stars and the magnitude of the whole thing. And he was talking about the delicate balance that makes all this possible, that if the, 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 the relationship between the strong force and the weak force had been just a fraction of a fraction different that the universe couldn't have formed and, 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 and going on about that. And I was thinking to myself, there's got to be a God. This can't just come from nothing. This, the, the magnificence of this and the awe of this, the grandeur of this, the beauty of this, the design of this, this can't just be a random cosmic burp. It's, it's got to have a purpose behind it, a mind behind it. But then I'm thinking of gassed children and I'm thinking there can't be a God. But then I turn and look at the wonders of the world and creation and I think there's got to be a God. But then I think for a moment on just the millions of people who were incinerated and, and I, 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 there can't be a God. And as I walked back from that building that night, um, my mind was just in this vice grip. I, was, was like a, I felt like in my brain was like a ping pong ball going back and forth, back and forth. Look at the grandeur of the universe. There's got to be a God. Look at the suffering in the world. There can't be a God. But look at the design of everything. There's got to be a God. There can't be a God. There's got to be a God. There can't be a God. I was just going back and forth, back and forth. I got to my car, the U of M parking lot, and... Uh, I unlocked the door, and just as I was about to get into the car, I thought some of this, and I said some of it. And I don't know how to parse all that out, but I remember looking up at the sky and saying and thinking, if you're up there as a spectator looking down on this mess, and you're just an, a, 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 an observer of our misery, then I have a moral obligation not to believe in you. The only way I can believe in you is if you're on the inside of this mess, if you're on the inside of the pain. If you know inside the terror of the little child facing the gas chamber and the terror of the mother of the child facing the gas chamber, if you know firsthand the terror of a child caught in a mudslide, buried alive, if you know the horror from the inside, if you experience that, if you're in this with us, that's the only way I can possibly believe in you. And I sat down in my car, and just as I was turning on the ignition, an idea popped into my head. It was almost like a voice popped into my head. I think it was the Holy Spirit. But I, I heard this word. What do you think the cross is all about? What do you think the cross is all about? The Christian faith has this most peculiar view of God. There's nothing like it in the history of religions. We know very well what it looks like for human beings, to create God in their own image. We've been doing it throughout history, and they look like giant versions of ourselves. This, this God, the God revealed on, on the cross, is nothing at all like any of that. There's, it's utterly unique. It's one of the ways that you know this is divine revelation. Because the Christian faith is rooted on this conviction that God, out of his unfathomable love for human beings, didn't just empathize with us, though that would be magnificent enough, to have some empathy, to feel sorry for us. Yes, that'd be great. But this God, the God revealed on Calvary, is a God who out of his profound, unfathomable love for us, he entered into solidarity with us, uh, In this total solidarity with us, not just the good part of us, but the bad part of us, the evil parts of us. Uh, he, he entered into solidarity with our sin and in solidarity with our curse. And he got on the inside of that. That's what it means when it says that, that, that on the cross, Jesus bore our sin. He experienced our sin. He suffered our sin. He's on the inside of every heinous thing ever done. And he's experiencing that in solidarity with us as though he himself did it. He's standing in our place as the sinner of all sinners. I, I, try to enter into what that must have been like. You know, There's a, a, a time, oh, it was 12, 13 years ago where I was on a, a medical missions trip in Cambodia. And next to the village where we were ministering there was another village and. We are told that that village was completely given over to uh, sex trafficking of kids. The whole village. I couldn't get my mind around that. I was asking all sorts of questions. And finally, one of the uh, folks who lives there said, would you like to uh, go see it? And I I said, yeah, I actually would. I, I, I can't even imagine this. So he had a little moped, and I get on the back of this moped, and he starts to drive me through this little town, like three roads. And as we're driving there, all of a sudden I noticed these guys, as, as we're approaching like a house, a, a guy would come out on the driveway. And the kids weren't out. They said the kids during the day were kept inside. At night they came out. But during the day, it was just the Johns who were out there. And, and they would come in and they, and they tried to like flag me to come into a house. And if we didn't stop there, the next one would try to flag me. And then I noticed several had pictures that they were holding up of these little kids. They're trying to sell me it. These kids. And all of a sudden, it occurs to me, I hadn't thought this through very thoroughly, but they think I'm there to do that. They think I'm there to buy a kid for an hour or whatever they do. And then I noticed that in some of these little shacks, in front of them, there's nice cars. Westerners are parked there, and that's what they're doing. And they think that's what I'm there for. And I all of a sudden could enter into the persona of a sexual pedophile who, who is there for that reason. Like a role-playing that. And I had this gross, nauseating feeling come over me. There's like sickness. Like what if I was, I, I would imagine, what if I was here for the? I was getting on the inside of this sickness, the inside this disease, and it was nauseating to me. I wanted just to scream to them, no, that's not what I'm there for. But that's how they're, they're viewing me. And, and then the thought occurred to me that I, I am all too familiar with sin. I'm, I'm well acclimated to sin. And yet I, just getting a little bit on the inside of that, it made me nauseous. What must it have been like for the all-holy Son of God who never knew sin, God made him who knew no sin, to be sin for us? What must it have been like for him to get on the inside, not only of that sin, but of every sin that anyone has ever committed to be on the inside of the, 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 the mind of, of a Hitler and Stalin, Mussolini, and every other sick leader that's ever existed. To be on the inside of that, the pain that he must have been experiencing, it would be completely contrary to his nature to be undergoing that. And yet, out of love, he wanted to be into, into total solidarity with us. At our worst. In our hell. In this fallen state. But that wasn't even the worst. He became our sin, but he also became our curse. Christus means separated from God. He became our judgment. Sin, in, by its very nature, is pushing God away. And God, in his mercy, stays in the game trying to protect us from the death consequences of sin because to push him away is to choose death. He's the God of life. And to push him away is to choose everything that's contrary to life and ultimately to bring self-destruction on yourself. And the judgment of God on the cross, and the judgment of God on sin throughout history has been just to I mean, persistently push him away and he sees that holding his, the consequences at bay through his mercy is doing no good. With a grieving heart, he just withdraws and gives sinners what they want. He turns us over to our sin and to suffer that separation from God and therefore separation from life and therefore the damaging, even death consequences of sin. This is what Jesus did on the cross. As he enters into us in solidarity with us and our sin, he thereby enters into solidarity with us and our curse. He takes on our God-forsakenness. And see, that had to be, for him, the most excruciating pain imaginable. Because his very nature, as part of the triune God, his very nature is to be united with the Father and Spirit in perfect love and to experience that perfect union of love. And to experience separation then, not just for Jesus, but for the Father and Spirit as well, that would be as contrary to their nature as anything could possibly be. And it would be absolutely horrifying. This is why Jesus' sweat drops of blood while he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is why he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It would have been the horror of horrors. He's he's on the inside of all the God-forsakenness of the world. Now some people wonder, wait a minute, if God is love and then Jesus stopped experiencing love, then what, did God sort of just blow apart there? Did the Trinity stop stop being? And the answer is no. this This is how you know this is divine inspiration. Those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They are the most profound, most mysterious, most beautiful and most horrific words spoken in the Bible, maybe in all of history. But the beauty is that when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he is experiencing alienation from the Father and Spirit. That is actually the most perfect expression of the love that unites the triune God. Because see, it was out of love, this perfect love, that God entered into this God-forsaken state. That's why his love is self-sacrificial. He momentarily sacrificed his own union to enter into our disunion with him. And because it was love that motivated him to do that, That cry on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is the most perfect expression of love that God is and the love that unites the triune God. That God was willing to go to this extreme, the furthest extreme imaginable, out of love for us. There could not be a greater love because there could not be a greater distance cross. And yet Jesus was willing to do that for us, to enter into our God forsakenness. It was love, the love of the triune God, that led him to take on our alienation so that we could then eternally enjoy his union with the Father and Spirit. And it was, it was unfathomable love that led the triune God to enter into our curse so that we could then take on his blessed state. And it was the unfathomable love of the triune God that led, that, that led, led Jesus to enter fully, identify with our darkness, so that we could eternally share in his glorious light. And it was the love of the triune God that led Jesus to take on, enter into total solidarity with experience from the inside our captivity so that we could, throughout eternity, enjoy his own freedom. It was the unfathomable, incomprehensible, beautiful love of God that led Jesus to enter into the depth of our hell that we could share in his heavenly state throughout eternity. It was the unfathomable love of God that led Jesus to enter into our God-forsakenness. The judgment that we deserved, The death consequences of sin. And to experience that from the inside, he entered into our God-forsakenness so that we would never be forsaken. It's like on the cross, God just absorbed all that. He just absorbed. He absorbed our curse. He experienced it, and he defeated it. And he experienced our God-forsakenness. Uh, and and he, he suffered that, and then he conquered that. He experienced our hell. He, he, he absorbs all that. All our sin, all the rebellion, all the pain from the inside, and it conquers it and sets us free. So that now we never need to feel like we are forsaken. We never need to feel like we are abandoned. But here's the thing, as the students so beautifully illustrated, that has taken place on Calvary, but we still live in a world that is between Good Friday and Easter, if you will. It's a world that is still caught in the crossfires of this cosmic war. So it's still a world where nightmares can and do happen. It's a world where people experience God-forsakenness. Uh, it's a world where sometimes you, you, you pray and you hear absolutely nothing. It's a world that sometimes makes absolutely no sense. It's a world that sometimes feels like it's a, it's, it's a cruel joke. We experience that. But see, here's the thing. Jesus experienced that. He wasn't feeling the love of God while he was on the cross. No, he was feeling the consequences of sin, but the love of God was all over him. He was experiencing alienation from the Father, but the love of the Father was at the very heart of that experience. So also we can know that when we are in the dark place, when we're in the God-forsaken place in the wilderness, we're in the... See no light at the end of the tunnel place. We're in the why question without an answer place. We're in that pain place. When we're there, we've got to know. We experience it like this, but the truth is that God is at the center of that experience. The love of God is there. Wherever you go, the love of God is there. However low you go, the love of God is lower. However lost you get, the the love of God is there. the, the, The love of God is the center of every outside place. The love of God is the light of every dark place. The love of God is the hope of every despairing place. You can't go somewhere where the love of God is going to be the central thing there because he's absorbed it all. You, you, you can't outsend the love of God. You can't outrun the love of God. You can't out-despair the love of God. You can't out-do hopelessness over the love of God. The love of God is always ahead of you, around you, underneath you, on top of you, surrounding you, inside of you, enveloping you. Amen. And so in that place... You just got to know one thing. However you are experiencing it, know that God is there. He's, he's there. He's on the inside of there. He's on the inside of there. You're never alone. No matter how hard you try, you're, you're not alone. You, 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 wherever you go, he's going to chase you. In fact, he's already there. He's absorbed all that. Know that you're not alone. And sometimes it's just enough to know that he's here. And all experiences notwithstanding, he's on the inside of this. He understands. He gets it. And he's hoping that you'll now lean on him. The only other thing I'll say as I call the worship team to come up here is that sometimes the suffering can feel like it's forever. When you have to spend the rest of your remaining years watching your child struggle with this disease for which there's no cure It feels, in an earthly sense, it's hopeless. And you've prayed every healing prayer you could possibly pray, and nothing's happened. And it feels like forever. But know that it's not. The only thing that is forever is that love of God that was perfectly expressed when Jesus Christ cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only thing that is forever is that his love triumphs. Amen. What's forever is that self-sacrificial love. And when we yield to that and just say yes to that, then we ride on that foreverness, praise God. That wins in the end. We're now going to reflect more deeply on, on the, the cross uh, by reiterating the vows of the, the new new covenant. Uh, the, the covenant that was made when Jesus before, on the night he was betrayed, he had shared this last supper with, with folks. And um, I want you to know that as we enter this time of communion, uh, we here have an open communion policy. That is to say, we don't do any theological background checks because Jesus didn't do any theological background checks. And so, if you want to take communion with us, we encourage you to take communion with us. Jesus, before um, the night in which he was betrayed, he took this bread that they were going to eat and he he broke it in front of them. And he said, This bread is my body which is about to be broken for you. So when you get together and and eat this bread, will you remember me? Remember the sacrifice I was willing to make. I thought you were worth this. And then he took the cup that they were going to drink. And he said, this cup is the cup of the new and the everlasting covenant. Because this cup represents my blood, which is going to be spilled for you. And so when you take the cup, would you remember me? Would you remember the spilled blood? And in that bread and in that cup, we have to know is far more than just the physical sufferings he endured, as horrific as those were. But he's on the inside of the sin and the inside of the curse. The all-holy God experiencing the sin of the world, the perfectly united God experiencing the God-forsakenness of the world, Why? So we never need to be forsaken. So we take this cup. Let's remember the love that that was behind His sacrifice. Ask the Spirit to engrave this in you. He thought you were worth this. And there can never be a greater price than the this. You are worth it. And all He wants in return is our thanks and our life. So Father, Father, the power of your spirit, come now and fill this place. You are here. Open our eyes and hearts to receive you, experience you, as you drive the true, profound meaning of this ordinance into our hearts. Fill our hearts with gratitude. In Jesus' name.